Hi, I'm Dwight Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show where we discuss all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of your constitutional rights, to provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited about today's show. Today's guest is a Heartland Community College colleague. She and I were president of the Hoffa Adjunct Faculty Association, and she's currently an employee in tutoring services, and we've been best friends for about five years. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to some and present to others the energetic, vivacious, and loving Miss Jenny Crohn's. Welcome to the show, Miss Crohn's. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Today's episode, Education versus Prison. But before we get into our subject, let's learn more about our guest. I'm so delighted to have you, Jenny, because you've done so much in your young life. What we like to do on the Justice for All podcast show is provide guidance to our high school and college students. And so we do that by allowing our guests to introduce themselves And talk a little bit about their background. So if you would, give the audience your name. Tell us where you were born and raised, where you went to high school, undergrad, what you studied in grad school, and talk a little bit about your professional career to this point. Yeah. So um, my name is Jenny. You can call me Jenny. And I'm from Joliet, Illinois. I went to Joliet Central High School a little while after that. After I graduated, maybe a year later, I decided to go to college. I went to Joliet Junior College and got an associates. And from there, I went to SIUC and then ISU, which brought me to Bloomington Normal and working at Heartland Community College. I only wanted to circle back to JJC as a community college because obviously I work at one now. But also when I um, was studying at Joliet Junior College, it was the first time I ever worked at a college and got a taste of what that was like. And basically, um, I never stopped. So yeah, I was working in tutoring at Joliet Junior College. My professional career to this point, you know, like I said, I uh, came to ISU and um, graduated and was lucky enough to get an opportunity at Heartland Community College uh, shortly after graduating. And that meant uh, tutoring. And then shortly after teaching, teaching a little bit of digital photography, um, and then 
there ended up being some more opportunities in the tutoring area. And fast forward to today, now I'm a college administrator. Tell us where you got your undergraduate degrees, your undergraduate degree in and what you got your graduate degree in. Yeah. So um, I was a first generation college student. So I basically thought, well, uh, maybe I'll pick what's the most fun uh, major. So I thought it would be really fun to study art. And um, I got to actually study that at all three of the colleges I went to, uh, even starting at the community college. And um, I got to study all different forms of art, glass blowing, all kinds of, you know, it was really, yeah, lots of fun. Um, Ceramics, painting, uh, even metal smithing, um, you know, especially going to SIU that opened up a lot of doors as far as studying media. And when I came out here to ISU, I continued that I got a master's of fine art. And my plan was to teach art at the college level, which I still do. Um, I just do it as a side hustle. Okay. You actually have a degree in the field of art. Actually created some work, sold some of your work, haven't you? Yeah, very little, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My work is more educational than um, maybe a commodity and maybe in some level, it's also like kind of questioning commoditization of art and many of the things we okay. commoditize. Okay. All right. Good. And so you actually have uh, been an adjunct professor as well, correct? Mm-hmm. I still am. Okay. I, still am. I never stopped. I still, I never, you know, I always have been an adjunct. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you actually teach in the field of art. I do. I just am adjuncting at a different college. I also uh, work at Lincoln College. Um, so I am an adjunct there. OK. All while being a full time employee at Heartland Community College in tutoring services. Yeah, it's just a couple times a year. So it's, you know. OK, so can you talk a little bit? OK, so can you talk a little bit about what you do as an employee in tutoring services? Yeah, I'm over the tutoring area. It's a lot of fun. Um, The tutors can be students or they're, um, you know, sometimes faculty or retirees from State Farm. So just a lot of different people with different backgrounds. And we get to help really a lot of students uh, at Heartland. So, you know, it's it's a lot of fun to to work there and feel good about what you do. Okay, but, but yeah, we're online, we're in person, we're on demand. Okay, I know how much tutoring services can be of help to uh, a student. Personal experience from actually being an undergrad and and needing help in subjects like mathematics and uh, different other subjects and mm-hmm. learning, uh, getting assistance with uh, writing papers and in yeah. terms of how to structure them and. And all that good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Our our subject for today, education versus prison. One of the reasons why I wanted to have this particular subject is because I know from working in the criminal justice field that 53% of the people that are in prison actually are nonviolent. And I've always believed and I've always thought that those individuals that are nonviolent should remain in the community 
and we would be able to get them jobs and they would be able to funnel that money back into the community as opposed to the taxpayer paying approximately $32,000 a year on uh, housing them in a secure facility. So Mm -hmm. my first question to you is, any idea approximately how much money we spend uh, on education? Not enough. That's what I would say. Okay. All right. We can spend more on it, and it sounds like less on uh, prisons. Do you? What, what do you think? Do you think that community college should be free? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You. you yeah, education is a right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that that is a it bit, should be a right at least. Right? Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so you believe that it should be a right? Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess it's unfortunately. I didn't see that one in the bill of amendments. Okay. Um. So correct me if I'm wrong, but no, I think that's one of the things that in his first public interview, President Biden mentioned that he wanted to make community college uh, free for hmm, everybody. Yeah. yeah, that would, I think that would be great. What's your thoughts on president Biden uh, forgiving student debt? I think that would be wonderful. I think the American um, student loan system we currently have is unscrupulous. You know, it's unfortunate um, how it's structured in a lot of ways and yeah, it's crippling to a lot of people. And that's unfortunate when, you know, you went to get an education to further yourself and now you're maybe struggling to pay some of your bills because you're having to pay this huge student loan bill. It actually, I believe, puts a real damper on and widens that gap between the poor or mm-hmm. the less fortunate and those yeah. at the top. When you saddle with a lot of debt, it's very difficult for young people to even visualize the possibility of owning their own home. It's ridiculous. I think I'm paying, you know, if we weren't in the pandemic, I was paying over $500 a month and we weren't touching the principal. And it's been like five years or something, you know, it's like, that's a lot of money. I could have had a brand new car, you know? Right. So, um, and it's just no end in sight. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. All right. Let's move on to our second segment, constitutional rights. So tell me, what is your favorite constitutional right? So um, I would say, I'm going to say the first one, the first uh, amendment. First amendment. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And I especially like the idea of asking the government to fix things. Okay. Petitioning the government and our uh, freedom of speech, because, you know, that's a big issue in terms Mm -hmm. of when do when does that amendment apply in terms of being able to uh, uh, protest? And because, you know, there's been a lot of protest that's been going on as a result of the George George Floyd killing. Mm -hmm. And and, and Mm -hmm. speaking of that, we had have had the the trial uh, that started on Mm -hmm. just recently and and so in regard to that i know that in congress they have a bill that's entitled the george floyd bill uh Mm -hmm. that actually is uh 
written to address some of the uh, concerns regarding the police, uh, the use of force, violence that has been taken against African-American men. My next question to you is, what's your uh, position on Mm -hmm. police reform? Yeah, so um, I thought about this for a while. I'm just going to shoot from the hip here, actually. But when I was younger, I used to study Iceland quite a bit. And one of the things that I won't forget is reading. And I mean, I would look into the more anthropological perspective stuff. Okay. Um, But I just, I love Iceland. And uh, one of the things I remember is the police actually don't carry weapons. They carry batons. Okay. That would have been the, like the worst case scenario weapon. And I remember, you know, being like a young 20 something year old thinking, wow, like that is so nice to imagine because, you know, I, I remember Maybe one of the last times I was even inside of a McDonald's, there was a cop next to me and, you know, just just seeing them with a gun on, them, you know, just not even doing anything, just seeing someone with a gun on on them. It's just a really uncomfortable feeling, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter who you are. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, is there's other models, you know, we can look at other countries and it doesn't have to be carrying guns. It doesn't have to be this, you know, violent force. Um, and there's been some really great proposals from Black Lives Matter, um, already about what some of that reform could look like. Um, so gosh, I hope there's going to be some, I really think we're at a time where there should be changes. Um, and I'm hoping I'm going to hear about more of them. Well, I actually think that that's excellent that you mentioned that because a lot of people don't realize that in, not in every country do they carry firearms as a result of not carrying firearms violence is not as high mm-hmm. yeah. you know going you know going back to the our topic education versus prison the united states has 5% of the population in the world but we house like 25% mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. criminals in prisons yeah. and and so i just think that I, I'm not saying that I believe that police shouldn't carry weapons, but I'm just making the point that not all police departments in the in the world carry uh, weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a model, you know, culturally, yeah, they just might treat people a little differently. All right. So another uh, big issue currently is voter suppression. And there's also speaking of constitution and amendments and laws, a bill in in Congress entitled the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And so I wanted to, to conclude this segment by asking you what your position of that is. Well, um, I had to, to be honest with you, I had to look it up because I didn't realize there was an, like an addition added to the Voting Rights Act. Okay. Um, And so I appreciate you, you know, sending me this question. Um, But absolutely, uh, that needs to be put in place. Um, And it's just a shame to imagine that the Voting Rights Act was even taken apart. What was it in 2013? Uh Um, That's just a shame to think about that. It's been that long even. So. So, yeah, no, um, it's it's really unfortunate. And, you know, the next 
portion gets into white supremacy, but, but yeah, how that, you know, just voting rights can tie into, you know, this antiquated white supremacy and, um, you know, why, why it is that some people don't want everyone to vote, uh, why you would not want someone to vote, even if they were a felon. I don't understand that. In your opinion, why do you think that there would be people in Congress that do not want individuals to uh, vote? I suppose they're afraid they will vote. You know, they, they perhaps think this group of people will vote in a way, you know, not in the favor of that congressperson. Okay. You know, that would be my guess. They're sort of trying to control the vote. I mean, what else, yeah. you know, could it be? Yeah, you mentioned that uh, for purposes of power, one of the things that I've learned over time is that you, the vote, gives you the power and the ability to impact change. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot that I feel that needs to be changed. If you take away the individual's right to vote, that means that they don't have any representation or they may not have any representation as a result. It's just disturbing to think about that, that we still live in a world where that's an issue that we have to fight for. Okay, let's move on to our final segment, A Voice for Change. This is my favorite segment of the show. So my first question to you is, as an educated Caucasian woman with a beautiful, brand new baby boy and married to an African-American man, my main man, Mr. (laughs) Robert, how do you feel about America? Well, I guess I feel a little less anxiety right now because of Biden getting elected. But um, but, yeah, we got a lot of work to do. And, you know, I just wonder what my part is and, and how I can help. How is the brand new baby? He's good. He's happy. He's meeting kids and his grandparents. So and how old is he now? He's going to be one. Going to be one. OK. All right. You actually being in a marital relationship where one partner is Caucasian and one is African-American. I specifically wanted to ask you the question to get your thoughts on white supremacy and Black Lives Matter. So what are your thoughts on white supremacy and Black Lives Matter? Okay, it's a lot. Um, I guess I'll start with Black Lives Matter because it's way more important to talk about. Okay. And then if there's enough time, maybe we'll talk about white supremacy. Okay. Okay. Um, Black Lives Matter, I think, is a, a wonderful organization. It's an important phrase for people to be able to say, and it's really disappointing that some people just can't, you know. I think the movement is just, it's fascinating. Um, there's been, you know, art that's come out of it, you know, so obviously that perks my interest. I'm just so impressed with Colin Kaepernick. I, um, all I can say is I do not like sports. I know DeWitt, you love sports. Right. I could care less. It's time for naps (laughs) when the football game comes on, but Colin Kaepernick has made me love sports. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. You know, he's awesome. He's, he's just such a cool athlete. So I'm an activist. I mean, really, that's what he is. Um, so, yeah, I think Black Lives Matter is awesome and deserves all the credit. I don't know why some people are still behind on supporting and backing Black Lives Matter. It's ridiculous. 
Okay, what's your thoughts on white supremacy? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm really glad. Well, do you think do you think that it exists? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I'm glad that you asked me to be part of this because actually, where I'm from, for me, ties into the prison system and ties into white supremacy coming from Joliet. Oh, that's right. Um, you have so, Joliet prison facility, right? Right, right, right. And I mean, I grew up in Joliet. I was born in the '80s. You know, you you call me young, but I'm going to be 40 this year. So, um, you know, growing up in Joliet, you know, I can't speak for other places, but I can say that, you know, you were aware of people being associated with the KKK. You know, they were a presence, even though Joliet might be diverse, it's diverse. And then there's, you know, at least when I was there, there was clearly people that you could tell were, you know, identified as Nazis or KKK or something along those lines. And you would... Whether you wanted to or not, you would end up having um, experiences with these people and they can be quite frightening. So I guess, you know, I've always had a probably a good safe fear of white supremacy. And, you know, it's to to question its reality would be very difficult when, you know, like I said, especially coming out of prisons, you know, these white men would come out having joined some sort of white supremacist group and then they would try to recruit people from Joliet Central, my high school, right? Mm-hmm. So you would, you know, you, like I said, you would end up having some sort of interaction with with people that identified with white supremacist organizations. Well, there's certainly questions surrounding the insurrection incident of the Capitol mm-hmm. and whether or not those individuals could be viewed as individuals who think that they are supremacists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, white supremacy is actually uh, absolutely what drove those people out to the Capitol. And it's just disgusting to see, to know that, you know, like I said, I know that I've seen it and I could, I know exactly what it looks like and it's hard to miss it, you know, okay. but then here we have people that saw this on TV. Maybe they hadn't seen white supremacy, you know, okay. um, but they saw it there, but, the, you know, or, or they were in the Capitol, right? And they really experienced it, not having been a part of that protest, the the politicians there, but yet still they could not call it what it was. And that's just, it's just, it's disgusting and disturbing. And I don't know what's wrong with some people that, that they might not, not see its prevalence, you know, how pervasive it is in our culture and just how destructive it is. It it hurts everyone. Do you think that our former president has something to do with the fact that there are people that are walking around today that think that they are more superior than everybody else? Absolutely. You know, I, again, my experience growing up in Joliet, I think, you know, I can't speak for other places, but I remember when Bush was in office Mm -hmm. and I remember being a target of harassment you know, just driving down the street, my hair maybe was a rainbow or something. And I had interesting bumper stickers, but these white supremacists, you know, can sense that you're different and um, might start, you know, revving up their engine and kind of trying to run you off the road. And um, yeah, I remember those feelings and the, that sentiment, that feeling was in the air again, you know, Mm -hmm. 
I, I knew what was coming and it was scary. It's and everyone should have been scared. Okay. Okay. As we come to a close, I always like to ask my guests, what is the one thing you'd like to see the Biden administration accomplish? Oh man. Do I, like sky is the limit. Sky um, is the limit. Sky well, is the limit. I, I can't remember. I can't quote him, but when he was inaugurated, he made a comment about how he kind of owes it to the black voters. Okay. So I really want to see him own up to that, you know, and that could mean a whole lot of things, but I hope, gosh, I really hope this George Floyd uh, case, you know, is something much better than what we've, you know, heard in the past. There's so many opportunities uh, that we can do better as a country. So, yeah, I hope he does, you know, okay. try. Okay. And one of the things that is being discussed right now on Capitol Hill to follow up, and, and I'll end on this, that is the filibuster where you need a certain amount of votes in order to pass a bill. So in order to pass mm-hmm. the George Floyd bill, there's not going to be any Republican that votes for it. And they're going to need all 50 votes of the uh, Democrats in order for it to pass. And so you had mentioned uh, that he said that he would have the backs of African-Americans most of the people that are affected, I think we can agree, on, as a result of the of voter suppression, is African Americans. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, do you would you vote for the Democrats to actually get rid of the filibuster if that's what it takes in order to pass the George Floyd bill? I mean, I would definitely do my research, but yeah, it sounds like we got to do whatever it takes. I, I don't recall hearing of a filibuster helping something, but. Okay. Okay. All right. Very good. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, pathway to becoming a college administrator, valuing education over prison and what needs to be changed in America until next time. Keep living your best life. God bless and Godspeed. Thank <laughs> you.